Thank you. Wow, you guys are really nice. Wait till you hear me. Hey, I am really excited that you guys are here. I, uh, I know many of you, some of you may be this your first time at the church. I strongly encourage you to come back next week. Pastor Jason will be back and uh, they're on some vacation and it's going to be awesome. This church is on this trajectory of, of God using in such magnificent ways. We feel so blessed and a little bit giddy to even be a part of it. It's uh, such a cool place to be. And there's a long process. I don't have a whole lot of time to tell you this morning about it, but um, Pastor Jason and I started talking in the, about the middle of March uh, about the possibility of coming on and some things needed to kind of work out and Lord work it all together and make it uh, come into being. And uh, Amy and I um, drove in on uh, New Year's Day with a little bit of a trailer behind us pulling a few things. And we've got a house uh, kind of in the center of town that we're going to rent for a while. And uh, we are very, very excited about being here. I want to tell you a number of things about my life, but uh, as uh, Pastor Howard just said, my wife, Amy's right here in the front row. You can't see anybody, but uh, my daughter, Courtney, who is a, in her first year at Washita Baptist University in Arkansas. Uh, it's in Arkadelphia. How many people know Arkadelphia? Oh, well, okay. Four. Good. Um, and then uh, her boyfriend's with us. His name is Caleb Collins. And you're going to be confused because my son's also named Caleb. He's sitting right next to him. So we wanted to keep Caleb in the family so we could remember names and share stockings. Uh, and then my <laughs> oldest daughter, Katie, who is a, uh, in her third year, but uh, a senior at Mary Harden Baylor, uh, is with us this morning. And some really, really good friends of ours from the Dallas area, Martin and Marcia Day, are with us. This morning, so we are excited uh, to be here. You may not be near as excited as we are, and uh, we may wear out our welcome faster than you expect it. But uh, uh, when Pastor Jason and I really kind of got serious about this late in the summer, we told him, I said, you know, what I dream of is that our ministries would be able to connect with a church that has a vision to do what God wants it to do. And uh, every church is unique in its specific calling on how God is going to use it. Um, but there are a lot of organizations that have the word church on the front of them or on the end of them uh, that are really not a part of the ultimate calling of what God has. And I'm not judging anybody else. I'm just saying there's organizations that have religious overtones that really don't understand what the gospel is. And so we wanted to be a part of a church and we were trying to partner our lives with a church that understood the mission of the gospel. And uh, I cannot tell you emphatically enough that we believe that 1910 is the best church at doing that that we have ever been a part of. It is amazing what God has done through 1910 Church here in this area and around the world. Um, and so we just think it's just such an awesome opportunity. So I want to share with you a little bit about my um, story and kind of how we got here. Um, not physically because we drove in down I-35, but, um, uh, you know, being the brand new Sunday of a brand new year or the first Sunday of a brand new year and having the excitement of New Year's resolutions and fresh starts and things like that. You know, sometimes they don't come to fullness. You make a commitment or a pledge or a resolution and it's a new year and you want to do certain things. Um, you know, I, I've never been good at those, but I did make one in 1979, uh, Christmas. My sister gave me a calendar and I committed to no longer be just four foot eight and 75 pounds so she gave me a calendar that looks a little bit like this picture on the screen. Well, not look, looks like it. It is it. Um, I wanted to be like that. And obviously I've achieved it. Uh, you, the sweater kind of hides it a little bit, but if you could see me without a sweater, which would be inappropriate this morning, uh, Arnold and I have a lot of things in common. He, um, so anyway, the, um, the, the, this calendar was my, my starting point of really sculpting this frame to exactly what God wanted. 
And um, and, and, and probably middle of January, I was done. But what I'm saying is I love this calendar. We had this forever. I kept this for an illustration for a long time. And somewhere in our move, we we couldn't find it. So we did get a picture of it. But the reason I say that, the only reason my sister gave me that calendar is because she circled her birthday in May on it. It's the only way I remember when her birthday is. Um, But it was a New Year's resolution back then. I was a little guy. I was uh, ninth grade. And I was like, man, I want to, I want to get bigger. I want to grow up. I want to, I want to, I want to be impressive. I want to, you know, build this physique and, and people would just go, oh, wow. And then like you go to the water park and people are like, dude, look at that guy. So I have no idea what that would feel like. But if I'd ever achieved that, that would be really totally cool. So in this journey of ours and in our, in our life, uh, God has done some pretty amazing things. And on several occasions in my life, he's really changed the trajectory of where I was headed on my own. I grew up in church as a, as a young boy. We went every day uh, that it was open, every opportunity. We went to every service, every Sunday school, every, uh, if you're an old Baptist person, you know, discipleship training or training union, if you go way back, um, we went through everything that you could possibly do as a, as a family when I was young. The one thing that was that we didn't understand, I was really young, is my parents on the outside looked like they had it all together. My dad was a charter member of this church. He was a deacon. It was a big deal in his leadership. He, he did all kinds of things. But inside, he and my mom were not doing well. And so before I started my first grade year, they set us down for this conversation. And um, they told us that they were going to get a divorce and dad was moving out. I was six. I didn't really understand what was going on. And so my brothers and sisters were all crying. So I cried knowing that it wasn't good, but I didn't really understand all what was going on. And um, from that point on, I had a little different perspective on marriage that I didn't want to be in just an okay marriage. I made a commitment. Actually, I kind of ran from the idea of a relationship for a long time thinking I don't see happy marriages really anywhere. I see people that are kind of stuck together and when it doesn't stick long enough, they just leave. And uh, it just didn't really make me feel like that was a great thing. But I, I did grow up loved. We grew up very active in our church. And even after my mom uh, and dad divorced. We, we went for a while and my mom had a job that worked six days a week. And um, so we didn't go on Sundays anymore and got out of the routine. Well, one Sunday morning, I woke up kind of early and I woke up my brother and I said, Hey, would you take me to church? I, I, I want to go to church this morning. It was in the summer and he was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take you. And so he drives me over there, drops me off, goes back to the house. And my friends are like, Hey dude, we're going to youth camp tomorrow. I was fixing to go into seventh grade. Like we're leaving for youth camp in the morning you want to go? And I was like, man, does it cost money? And they're like, yeah. And I said, no, I can't go. And they said, hey, let's go talk to the youth minister. Maybe he's got something. So we walked over to this guy named Jerry Morris and uh, I didn't know who he was. I hadn't been involved in the church in a long time. And my friends go, hey, this is our friend Kyle and he wants to go to camp. And Jerry said, well, it's pretty amazing. I just left the early service and a guy gave me a check and he pulled it out of his suit pocket for someone to go to camp. It's paid for. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, but I got I to gotta ask my mom if it's okay. And so he's like, all right, you go home and you ask your mom and then you come back tonight and tell me if you can go and we'll give you all the paperwork you need. Back then you filled out, you know, I, 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 I try not to die. And that was about it. Now you got all of these other things you got to do, but those are the good old days. Um, we left kids at camp. We weren't responsible. Nobody cared. Just kidding. The, um, but the, I came back that night and I said, my mom said I could go. And, uh, so he gave me all the list of things to pack and I went to camp and that week God changed my life. I had made a decision when I was really young and I knew that I trusted who God was. But at that young age, I didn't know how to submit my will to really surrender to a lordship. And so it really took at that camp for the, 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 path, the camp pastor to really share 
what it meant to follow Christ. And I remember sitting in the, towards the very back on the side and I was kind of a, not a troubled kid as in causing a lot of trouble. I was very mischievous and uh, I really hadn't been paying attention. I was kind of leaned against the wall and, and uh, man, all of a sudden it was like, God woke me up and said, I want you to listen to this. And man, I zoned in exactly what this pastor was talking about. And it was me. I needed to know Christ and submit my will and be totally committed. And I walked down that aisle and I will never forget the feeling of walking down there. And there was by myself at the very, very initial and other people started coming out into the aisle and we went down and God changed my life from there. I was on a trajectory of maybe knowing who God was and having some church affiliation, but I didn't really know God. And God changed that through an evangelist named Barry Wood and a pastor named, a youth pastor named Jerry Morris and a bunch of friends that wanted me to go to camp. And God changed a lot of things for me in there. And I began to walk with the Lord. And that same summer, my brother was diagnosed with, uh, with cancer, with a tumor in his chest. And they said, it's really bad. It's grown from his chest estuary for athletics in September. It's now August and they have found it's the size of a football. And we're gonna have to remove it, but it's obviously very fast growing. This is very dangerous. We don't know if he's gonna make it. He survived, we did chemo and radiation. He went three months with a checkup. He was clean, six months, went back for another year. It had reoccurred and it did that two or three other times. And then as I got through, uh, my seventh grade year, my brother's still sick at this time, but I, after I got through my seventh, eighth grade year, my mom remarried, we moved to a new town. And I had this great church home where people were following Christ and it was dynamic and exciting. And I moved to a new town where I couldn't find that same kind of church. I went to a bunch of different ones. It was like, no, no, no. Part of it was because I wasn't known and I'd been known at the other church and I was expecting people to go, oh, Kyle's here. This is great. And I'm a new guy to the community. That's just a little nerd, you know, and I changed. But at the... Um, <laughs> some gotten taller. The, uh, the, but the idea is that I think I was looking for a place to be excited that I was there more than a place that I, I needed to kind of earn my way in and people to, to, to receive me. But when I got into youth ministry later on, that was an emphasis for me that I didn't want anybody to ever walk into our youth room, into a youth meeting and not feel welcomed and greeted at the front door. Because I know exactly what it's like to walk in to multiple churches and no one seemed to care you're there. And so we've committed for that for a long time, but God began to work in, in, in my life in, in distant ways because I wasn't involved with other believers through this time in high school. And I didn't get into major, major trouble, but I certainly was in sin and I was living for myself and I was worried about money and making money. And I wanted to make money. And I tell people all the time, this doesn't ring true in today's economy, but I was taking $350 home a week working for the grocery store my junior and senior year. That was a lot of money back then. Still a pretty good chunk of change for a 15 or 16, 17 year old kid. But it was about money. I bought my own car. I bought my own clothes. I bought what I wanted. I, I was all driven by success and I wanted to be you know, successful. And I wanted to be known. I wanted to, to, to be significant. I thought I was gonna be an architect. I wanted to build giant buildings that people say, oh, Kyle Kelly built that building or designed that building. And, and the Lord really took me through a process after the huge transition in my life. Right before I graduated from high school, we used to have a week off from the last class for the seniors to graduation. And during that week, I went down to Houston to visit my brother. Cancer had reoccurred. This is about six years into his journey. The cancer had come back and I went down to visit and he had always gotten well. So we just assumed he'd get well again, even though the doctor said it was really bad. And I'll never forget this moment standing in his hospital room. And I looked at my life and I looked at his life. He's 22 years old. He's got a fiance. They're gonna get married probably within the next three or four months. He's got a, less than a year to graduate from college, wants to be a trainer, eventually wants to work for the Cowboys and be a trainer. He has a dream and a vision and God had done a lot of work through his cancer 
to get his heart to serve the Lord. And he had shared his testimony and bravery and struggles through cancer and not knowing if he was going to live the next day. And he had turned a lot of things into kind of jokes and used it to share the gospel with lots of people. And I'm standing in his hospital bed looking at this life that God has used in such magnificent ways. And here's a guy that was healthy, that should have everything in the right direction. And I was a mess. And I looked over him and my brother had lost his voice from the first surgery. They had had to cut a bunch of stuff and he kind of whispered like this for the rest of his life. And I was over his hospital bed and I said, Dean, I'd give anything to switch places with you. My life's a mess. And he grabbed my hand and he said, Kyle, no way, man. I love you too much. I'd never let you do that. And you know, if you've ever stood someplace with shame and just feeling useless, and that you're thinking my life compared to yours is a waste. I walked out of that room and I stood in that hallway and as if the Lord just came and put the spotlight on me and this expression of love, he said, you remember in seventh grade when you committed to walk with me fully and how you've walked away from that? I'm calling you back. I have a plan for your life, Kyle, and I wanna use you, but you gotta submit yourself to me. And I'll never forget, it didn't turn around immediately. I wish that was, it seemed like it'd be a cooler story to go, man, that moment on, I never had any struggle. It took me about a year of dealing with Dean's death because he just died a couple days later. It took me almost a year to come to grips with some of that agony and that frustration and that disappointment and shock and go through my freshman year in college before God was really getting my heart. But from the very first Sunday I was at college, I told my roommate, I said, we need to go to church tomorrow. And Joe, my roommate from Dallas, was kind of like, all right, where'd that come from? And I said, man, I don't know, but I know I need to be at church every Sunday. And we visited a bunch of places and God did some things through all of that, but God began to get a hold of my heart. And so in my junior year, I switched my major. Or at the end of my sophomore year, I changed my major, went to seminary, got a degree and went into youth ministry. Because what God taught me was you need to be used in the kingdom. And it doesn't mean full-time staff is what everybody, everybody's called to be full-time ministry but to be vocational ministry is kind of a weird calling, but it's not a super calling. It's not better than anybody else's calling. We're all called equally in the kingdom. But one of the things that happened to me that really drew me into youth ministry was during my summer between my freshman and sophomore year, when I was just getting a hold of it, I'd gone to church and that youth minister that had taken me to camp had already left and another guy had come in and he said, hey, why don't you go to camp with us tomorrow at a high school camp? And I said, man, I just started a job. There's no way. I've been there two weeks. I I can't take off a week. He said, just ask your boss. So I called my boss and he goes, this is a perfect week to take off. We got very little work to do. Perfect. Okay. So I went back to the youth minister and said, okay, you won't believe this, but I actually got off work. And he goes, that's great. It's a high school camp. You'll probably have 10th grade boys. And I'm thinking, man, these 10th grade guys are probably living a far more righteous lifestyle than I have been. What am I going to be doing as a counselor? And God said, I'm sending you for a purpose. And that week at camp, God began to do amazing things. This verse that's gonna come up, John 16, 33, was a verse that God really gave in my heart. On the way to this high school camp, I was cramming for the test, reading my Bible on the bus. And I said, God, I need some help. And John 16, 33, as I was reading through the book of John, came up and it reads like this. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble but take heart for I've overcome the world. And it may not mean as much to everybody else, but to me as a 19 year old kid going to be a sponsor at a youth camp, I thought, man, 
all the trouble I have in my life. And Jesus is saying, hey, take heart. It's going to be okay. I've overcome everything. And in me, you can come over everything. You can have victory. And I thought, man, all the shame, the guilt, the laziness, the things that I haven't done that I should have done, the time that I didn't spend with the Lord that I should have spent when I've walked away from him on several occasions. And God said, all of that is paid for. You've been forgiven of everything that you've done. Now I just want you to walk with me. And that week at camp, God began to use me in the lives of students. Immediately, the first night, a young man had lost a sister in a car accident. And that was the first time I got to share the story of me losing my brother just a year before to help this young lady get through that. And that has happened on numerous occasions. So God is doing all these things. I changed my degree. We're going through. And then my favorite verse comes up, is coming up, John 10, 10. I really needed to have a focus. And John 10, 10 is my life verse. And it says this, that the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, to the fullness, to the abundance, to the overflowing more than you can ask or imagine. And I needed that. I'm a guy that kind of lives for the excitement. I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie, so to speak. Don't think I'm a daredevil. Don't misunderstand my thrill of going 60. No, I'm just kidding. You know, it, it, I, I'm, not, I'm not extremely dangerous, but you know, if bungee jumped and some things like that, that I, that, you know, I... I my friend Martin's here in the front row. We were doing a mission trip in the Middle East uh, not too long, several years ago. We had these four-wheelers going through the desert. And man, I thought we were taking like eight, 10-foot jumps, you know, and there was all this air. People could stand under the four-wheeler. So then we had somebody taking pictures and we got home. This was before digital, so you can't see them until, you know, a week later. And then we get the pictures and there's not an inch between my four-wheeler and the sand. But the feeling was way up here, but the truth was way down there. So... I may enjoy the enthusiastic life, but I don't really live that dangerously. But I love the game of paintball because it's warlike enough, but it's only going to leave a whelp. I, I really don't think I could serve and have a real weapon being fired around me. I think I would wet myself on a regular basis, have to be discharged for diaper rash or whatever. But, um, but, but paintball is just exciting enough that people are going to you know, shoot at you and you can run and jump and you get hit. You're like, oh, I'm hit, you know, and I get out. So I like life kind of lived to the fullest. And so this passage really stood out to me. That's what I want. I want life to the full, to the abundance, to the excitement. Everybody wants to have good life. But the first part is what really focuses on you. The enemy is here to destroy us. His entire life is to make your life miserable. This is the enemy that claps his hands, jumps up and, jumps up and down, celebrates, high fives the demons when you're going through despair or you're suffering illness, or someone around you is hurt, or you are betrayed, or a relationship fails, he is celebrating. He hates you. He hates us, and he wants to destroy us. And so as God began to put all these things in my life, I began to realize that's what I want to spend my life doing, is helping people find the same truth that God gave me, which is forgiveness which is life abundantly and a shield of protection against the enemy that wants to kill me. And so we have spent a number of years, I spent 26 years in youth ministry and uh, I share this story a lot. Our college minister and I were meeting with our adult education minister one time years ago and the adult education ministry said, why do you guys work with teenagers? They're moody, they're rude, 
they're broke, so they can't do anything fun. And I said, well, that may be college students. You know, teenagers tend to have money. I don't know where it comes from, mama, daddy. But, uh, um, you know, they're, they're irresponsible. You can't trust them. You know, you, they say they're going to be there and they don't show up. I mean, it's just so frustrating. And my college minister said, just off the top of his head, he said, you know the difference between students and adults? Students' lives are messed up and they're looking for answers. Adults' lives are screwed up and they've learned to live with it. And as an adult, I tell you, that's true for most of us. We get into a routine by the time we're 25 or 30, and we just kind of stay in that routine. And we don't think we need to continue to grow. And the greatest thing that I could tell you is our intention from the father to his children is for us to grow. When we're doing the men's conference coming up in February, I mean, that's a perfect time to realize that men need to be men. This men concept of the community is nothing about God. This is about manhood. You and I as men, we need to be investing in younger men. We need to be their spiritual fathers and we need spiritual fathers to guide us so that we can do what men are supposed to do. This unity conference that's coming up this weekend, Friday and Saturday morning, Friday night and Saturday morning, you need to be here. This is about the church of Christ that is meeting in this fellowship being unified. And I'm gonna talk more about that in just a minute, but unification is not just a neat bumper sticker or motto. It is hard work. Amy and I believe very deeply in marriage. I'm gonna tell you, we've been married 24 years. And if somebody had told me 24 years ago that it could be getting better as you get longer in your marriage, I would have said, how can it get better? I'm crazy about this woman. And you realize every year it gets sweeter and sweeter. It's not because, well, she is phenomenal. It's not because I'm phenomenal. It's not just because her greatness makes our relationship great. It's because both of us are attempting at all times to be getting closer to the cross. And the closer we both get to the cross, the closer we get to each other. And that unity is something that God intends in every relationship. And when there's not unity, then there's discourse. There is uh, discord, there is distress, there is conflict. And the church of Christ that is empowered by the Holy Spirit is not in conflict with itself. Now, we may be in conflict with the community, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. Let me share with you a couple of things. If, um, if I were to tell you what my passion is and what we, what we desire, we want it to be a part of a church that said, we understand the mission. So that's number one. And 1910 knocks it out of the park, understanding the mission, to find and restore, to seek and save the lost, to be a light in a, in a church for the city, to say we're not going to be limited to trying to build a huge structure of fame and monuments to ourselves, but that everything we do brings fame and renown to the name of Christ. That's our goal. That's 1910's dr- driving vision. And I'm going to just tell you a side note for a second because many of you have been here for quite a while. You're not going to find many churches like 1910. We've been at several churches where we've worked on staff, and I know hundreds of churches of people that I've worked with. I've never seen a church this good. It's not just because your staff is phenomenal. It's because they are phenomenal for Jesus. And you've got one of the greatest pastors that I've ever been, been in contact with or known in my life that has a vision that was burned into his heart 10 years ago or longer that God allowed to come to fullness in what 1910 exists today. And I will tell you, I don't think that uh, the best days are here yet. I think God is readying an army to do some amazing and mighty things. So let me share with you, uh, Matthew 16, 16. It's a great verse. It's a statement by Peter. And I'm gonna put it in context here in just a second. 
But Matthew 16, 16 says this. Simon Peter answered, he's the disciple. He answers Jesus' question that we're gonna look at in just a second. It says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. We call that the great confession. Not as confession as you, that we somehow know in our culture today that means you, you know, confess your sins or you acknowledge. It is a proclamation. This is Simon saying for the first time in history, saying out loud, Jesus is the man that was promised in all the Old Testament. He is the Messiah, the one that came to save us. He is the son of the living God. In just a minute, we're gonna look at verse 17 where Jesus says to him, he says, man, Simon, you didn't figure that out on your own and no man told you that. That came only from the father. Look, if you, if you have your phone or, or you look at your Bible, this verse is all gonna be up here. Verse 13 um, says this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Who do they say I am, he says. Well, here's their reply in verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist, which was a fantastic man, a prophet. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets, which are all fantastic analogies, by the way. Any one of us being compared to any of these men is a gigantic compliment. And Jesus says in verse 15, but what do you, what about you? Who do you say I am? And then we see in verse 16, what we just showed. It's the reply of Simon Peter saying, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17 It says, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the father in heaven. We're gonna look at verse 18 in just a minute because it's really important, but you need to understand here, this is the first time that Jesus ever uses the term church. He says to him in verse 18, I'm going to establish my church, Peter, upon your profession or your confession or your claim. This is what he says, and I tell you that, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell, as many translations will say, will not prevail against it. Now we're going to, we're going to dig into that in just a second, but you, do you realize that Jesus says, this is what we're going to build my church on this statement that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, any other proclamation or confession of any organization that says they're a church that does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the son of the living God is not based on the truth. Everything else is wrong. I don't care how good they are. I don't care how benevolent they are, which is great. I don't care about any of those things. If they do not believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, they, they do not have the right foundation. And it will not be empowered by the work of the Lord. But let me tell you this in this verse right here. When it says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail or overcome it. Hades hell is the place that you would go when you're separated from God for eternity. You are no longer able to get from one side to the other. Let me just say this. A lot of people, we have, we have pictures of heaven and hell. It's really, really simple. Heaven is a place where God dwells and everything good that God created is there. Love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, all the things that are good are in heaven. So that means everything that is separated from God, what we call hell, is the absence of everything good. There's nothing good. There's no love. There's no feelings. There's no sensation. There's no anything that would be positive. 
And so when Jesus says, we're going to build the church and the gates of Hades will not prevail, the gate is the entry point of separation from God. And there are people on the other side of the gates right now. They are separated from God. They do not know the truth. The Bible says that the scales have been put over their eyes. They cannot see. They don't understand. They are confused and they are rejecting the truth of the gospel because they don't understand. So what Jesus says in this passage, he says, listen, we need to be on the offense. Don't be offensive, but be on the offense. The church of Christ is on the offense against the things of darkness of separation from God. Anything that is opposed to God is opposed to the gospel. And our job is to take the church and be active in breaking open the gates of hell for those that are captive, that are locked behind it currently in darkness would be free. I heard it said one time that we as believers are really people that were starving at one point And somehow we were led to by the divine work of God to find bread and the rest of our life, we'll go out and find those that are hungry and lead them to the bread. That's the church. So we're to be loving, kind, compassionate, not offensive, but on the offense. If you know anything about football, know what a prevent defense is. Anybody that knows what prevent defense is means you prevent yourself from winning the game. Uh, you have a lead and you're just trying to let them have a few yards at a time and just kind of, okay, I don't want to really be aggressive. I'm just going to keep backing up a little bit. And so you just kind of let them have a few yards at a time. And the next thing you know, they throw it over your head and they win the game. And you're just trying to kind of, but all game long, you've been aggressive. You've been doing all this stuff aggressively on defense, but now you're backing up to try to prevent the loss. That's what so often the church has become is playing the prevent defense. So when someone says, oh, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites, what you need to say is you're exactly right. Pray for me that I would learn to be less of a hypocrite today than I was yesterday. Don't defend it. Well, you're probably a hypocrite too. Yeah, they are. Everybody is. Jesus is the only one that wasn't a hypocrite. He said what he said and he did what he did and it was right. The rest of us are going to make mistakes. So don't fall back into this prevent defense as the church, which 1910 is not. I'm not telling you as this church needs to change. I'm just telling you the church that God blesses is going to be a church that says that we're going to knock over the gates of hell. There's a pastor in Amarillo that made a statement at a conference not too long ago, and I love this statement. They're in Amarillo, and it's, it's a really large church. He says, listen, I don't really know what all the other churches in town do, but at our church, we have a theme, and that theme is we don't want anyone in Amarillo to go to hell. And our church is going to do everything we can to prevent anyone in Amarillo from going to hell. So they jokingly say, if you want to go to hell, you got to move to Lubbock. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we lived in Lubbock, so I think I'm offended, but I don't know. So, um, but here's what I would say is, is I think that's the, that's the mentality of the church that God wants to empower. The church for the city that says we want to become all things to all people so that we can win even a few. We're going to love everyone. And we're going to be on the offense of knocking in the gates of hell for those that are held captive from things that were done to them that they can't overcome, things they chose to do or whatever it may be. We're not going to stand on the outside and go, hey, anybody in there want to come out? Hey, well, we don't want to be offensive. So we're just going to stay over here. We're on the offense because Satan is on the offense and we're not going to let him win. So I would tell you today as we wrap up, There's two or three action points that I think are really important. If you do not know Christ, you don't know this king that we sang about and we've talked about, that would be the step number one for you. 
is you say, listen, I want to investigate more. I'm a big investigative guy. I like investigative stuff. I like to think through things. Somebody might say, hey, you got to make the decision right now. Today's the day of salvation. The Bible does say that, and it is very important, but don't ever feel pressure because you, when you're ready to trust Christ, you're going to submit your will and say, not only do I want him to save me from my sins, I want him to be Lord of my life. So if you're here today and you don't know that, then you keep going on that journey. You come talk to one of the staff. You come out to the garage area out after the service and we'll help you. We'll talk to you. We'll connect you with some people. We want you to know that. It's very, very, very important. And then secondly, if you're not already connected in some kind of a small group, you need to be. We learn best in small groups. We're spurred on by small groups. I love the fact, I played tennis in high school. I love the fact that every great tennis player in the world has a coach. None of those coaches can beat the players they coach. Not a one of them can probably even win a game off of them. But they still need somebody on the sideline or on the baseline looking and saying, your footwork's not good here. You need to work on this. You need to throw the ball higher. You need to do these things. Everyone needs coaching in their life. And the best place to get coaching is in relationships with other people. So you need to be involved in, in, in life with other people. We've got an open enrollment coming up January 18th or the 25th for small groups. If you're not in one now, you need to be in one. Find a place. I, I made this promise in the first hour. If you uh, uh, join a group and don't like it, um, I'll have Pastor Blake by your lunch. I mean, he, he's more than happy to take you out and talk you to it. And, uh, and you can go anywhere you want, the waddling goose or the, what is it? Dodging duck, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Marcia. I think that was Marcia's. I knew it didn't sound right, but uh, I was told I shouldn't be trying to hit those ducks, apparently, when they were coming across. I missed them twice yesterday and circled around twice, and I still couldn't get them. They're quick little suckers. Um, but you really, this, this is one of the things that I would leave you on today. God desires all of us to be in a growth posture in our lives. And when we're not, the Bible says that we're either gathering people towards the cross or scattering people away from the cross. Our lives are either a magnet that bring people in to check out the beauty of the Lord or they repulse people from what we say is the beauty of the Lord. And if we're not in a growth posture and humbling ourselves before the Lord, we will not be attractive as a life and a lifestyle to the people that are looking and checking out the gospel. So as I encourage you today, I'm gonna pray. Let's all be people this year of God's word and of growth to be more like him. So then 2016, we say, hey, I had a fantastic year walking with the Lord. That was probably the most amazing spiritual year of my life. That would be awesome. Father, we pray today that you would bless this time, bless this group, this church, this staff, these leaders, what an amazing place to be. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, for today and just the opportunity to share our heart. Uh, We pray that you would be glorified in all we do. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.